It's time for JT the Brick. I love my job. I love the opportunity that I can come in here and talk to the Raider Nation. Talk to JT. As we are rolling on on the biggest topic in the NFL. This is nothing to dive into and look crazy about. Have we lost our bleep in mind? Look, the elephant in the room is the majority of our audience are Raider fans, and they would like the Raiders to win now. They don't want to rebuild. They don't care about two or three years. The last 20-plus years have been hard, and they're sick of it. Excuses die. The record stands. JT the Brick. Are you kidding me? It's an absolute free-for-all with the Raiders on national radio debate shows. Everybody now is throwing blank up against the wall. No, no, no. Who are you listening to? Who's putting this in your head? But what happens next is what should this team do that's responsible, not reckless, makes sense, and could kind of thread the needle and get this team back to greatness. Are you with me on that? Put some respect on JT the Brick's name. And now, sound off like you got a pair. Here's JT the Brick. Welcome back. Hour number two of the show. We're brought to you by the DeCastaverde Law Group, 702-222-9999. If you get into an accident, Alex and Orlando DeCastaverde will help you with their legal team. That team is expansive. They have a great reputation in town, La Familia. They help out the Latino community. They've been doing this a very, very long time. They give back to this community and their Raider Nation all the way. Proud partner of our show. Maybe that should make a difference on Raider Nation Radio. Uh, deal with some Raider fans at the Castaverde Law Group. They got those two billboards right outside of Allegiant Stadium, and they work with us on the radio. I love referring clients to them. If you get into an accident, 702 222. 9999. Mark Anderson will join us here in a little bit. The Vegas Golden Knights won last night. Uh, This should be a fever frenzy here in this town for that game. I don't know, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know of a better bounce back win in the history of the franchise. I don't. Uh, They've had some great wins along the way. They went to the Stanley Cup final as an inaugural expansion team. They've won big games before. The confidence level that I had after seeing them live on Saturday night. I had zero confidence in Edmonton. Zero. I didn't think they'd even be. I I thought they'd be competitive because their track record shows they're competitive on the road. But the fact that they slaughtered them and a Canadian hockey team, their fans, had to watch that. Can you imagine being an Edmonton Oilers fan in that building and walking to your car down 5-1 and the game's over? No one had that. Nobody saw that coming. If you know anybody who saw it coming, they're Nostradamus because I didn't see it coming. That was an absolute epic beatdown. Final call as they were able to win the game here, and now they have control. They have home ice, and they have one in hand on the road. Six seconds to go here in Game 3. Oilers thought they were really cooking after Game 2, but the Knights respond in Game 3, 5-1. The final score, the Golden Knights take a two-games-to-one series lead. Uh, Stan Duva on the call. Great job. I had a chance to meet with Dan and Gary Lawless in the broadcast booth. Joe Sands, who runs the broadcast. Bobby runs it out of here. I was in the booth on Saturday before the game and didn't expect them to play that poorly. So they're back. If you're a hockey fan who can hear my voice, where do you see now? They're the favorite to win the Cup. We just had Jeff Sherman, who joined us, telling us that they are now the favorite 7-2 to to win the Cup. Can you imagine the rest of May and the rest of June? If we're counting down to a Stanley Cup appearance here, and there's no Boston Bruins in the Eastern Conference, and I don't think they could ever beat Boston. If Boston started playing now after being off from being from being beaten the first round, that's the only team I didn't think they could compete against, period. And now I think they can beat everybody else. So, amen 
for all the fans who believed here and all the fans that have an opportunity to enjoy what could happen here over the next couple of weeks. It's the best-case scenario I'm looking at. Why wouldn't I? I think that's going to be uh, really cool to watch this. And we'll get into all the other big sports topics. We've got a couple of interviews this hour, and I want to get to those and hear from you on the Raiders' schedule. The NFL to release the full schedule coming up on Thursday, and it'll be leaked, and there'll be some games leaked. I think the ones that they, the Raiders should be paying attention to the most is if they'll be playing in London against the Bills. I have no information on that. And the second one would be, would they play in the first ever Black Friday game? That would be a failure of the NFL if they didn't have the Raiders in Black Friday. The silver and black in a black Allegiant Stadium on the outside playing in the Black Friday game? Are you kidding me? That seems pretty good. I don't understand why they're announcing this on Fox and Friends. Fox and Friends has their hands full today considering the breaking news on the uh, case of the former president in New York. And CBS Mornings with Gail. They're going to let Gail have some games first? Okay, I don't understand that. Mark Anderson, one of the best journalists in all of Las Vegas, kind enough to join us. Mark, I was saying earlier, I cannot believe Vegas won in dominant fashion in Edmonton, considering what happened on Saturday night. Walk us through that game and how now they're the favorite again in the NHL. Yeah, they. Uh, it was. Uh, it was like they changed jerseys <laughs> um, with the, with the Oilers. Uh, it, it was really strange. It, you know, that was if he, if the if the Knights were going to win the series, I'd always figured it'd be their depth scoring against the against the um, Oilers superstars, and that's basically that's largely what this series has been about. And you could look at last night's games as an example of that. And it was a combination of they had guys step up and contribute. Including two goaltenders, um, mm-hmm. and they held they held Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl without a point, and that's especially in this postseason as hot as those guys have been, that's been incredible. And the key to that was staying out of the penalty box. They had one short penalty, I think, forty seven seconds, mm-hmm. and then there's one in the third period that happened late, and the game was already decided. And I thought that was a good penalty actually at the time because it gave Aiden Hill a chance to work against the um, uh, against the Oilers power play, and 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 they killed it off. Aiden Hill came in and played unbelievable in that game to come in as a primary backup there, even having Jonathan Quick as the third goalie. But you nailed it. Here's the deal, Mark. You're playing against a team with two superstars, two of the top maybe three or four offensive players in the entire league. So if they don't score on one of their shifts, if you give them a penalty, they're going to play pretty much the power play. So you're adding their ice time, and they're probably going to score. So it's tough to play clean hockey the whole time because Dreisaitl and especially McDavid are skating around everybody, and it's easy to trip one of them or have a high stick or make a mistake. And I think that Cassidy made that reminder to the team to play sharp when those two are on the ice, and they completely contained them. They did, and I mean that was what killed them in game two. Mm. They they gave them the boy were so many penalties or so many power plays. And you just can't do that, and it just it just set the tone for the whole game. And you know the Knights led the league, led the NHL with the fewest uh, uh, penalty minutes this mm-hmm. season. So this isn't new. It's not like it's not like it's a big big ask for them to to cut down on the penalties. It's some, they they generally play a pretty clean game anyway. And Cassidy has said if you could hold the Oilers to a penalty a period, then you're doing pretty well. And they did even better than that last night. And it was the Oilers who took a stupid penalty. When Evander Kane rushed after Alex Petrangelo at the end of, I think it was the first period, uh, it was you know c- completely uncalled for. Uh, 
It made no sense. And if I was the, if I was in the Oilers locker room, I'd be ticked off at Evander King for for doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but so they were the those Oilers were the ones. At least at least Evander Kane was the one who lost lost composure. Mark Anderson is our guest, AP Sports reporter in Las Vegas, covers the Raiders. So, Mark, I want to get to the Raiders' schedule coming out. They'll get nine home games, and they don't get many breaks because they play the Jets, and the Jets got Aaron Rodgers. So that's a big deal. They get a break because Green Bay will have – they won't have Aaron Rodgers in that game. Jordan Love, we're assuming that Denver with Sean Payton is going to be a little bit better. Kansas City's a juggernaut. The Chargers they traditionally split against. And then their road games, you know, they're playing in Miami. Miami's a good team. Buffalo, either in Buffalo or London. I don't see this being a beneficial schedule. Not that it matters. you got to beat who's ever in front of you. But when you look at what could be a very difficult schedule – Lock in what you thought about the draft and how the Raiders are trying to reload so they can beat some of these great teams. Yeah, I, I just yeah, I think they're not. I think they're at least a year away at this point. I tend to agree with you. I, I just don't think it, it really works in their favor. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, they still don't have their quarterback of the future. Uh, I just think they realize they weren't getting that, that player this draft um, because Jimmy Garoppolo, I mean, he, I think he was a good pickup, but mm-hmm. you can't count on him to stay healthy. And and I and I don't know that anyone really saw him as a long term answer anyway. So I just I just think it, it seems like in some ways they're kind of trying to buy time at this point um, to build up. They're trying to bolster their their roster. You saw that in the draft, where six of their nine picks were on the defensive side, and mm-hmm. that, was, that wasn't a coincidence. They're they know they got to fix that side of the ball. And and so I think you will see improvement defensively. I think the offense will play well, and I think the Raiders will probably pull off you know a, a, a victory here, a couple of victories that people didn't see coming. I, I wouldn't be shocked if that happened. Uh, but especially in this division with the, with the Chiefs and the Chargers, uh, I just I just don't see them really being I just don't see them really being a contender right now. Mark Anderson joins us. Mark, I'll, I'll push back on this. I like the offense being loaded if they can run the ball again. The only saving grace, and there's a few of them, they got some good players on offense, really good players, because I think Garoppolo's better in the red zone than Derek Carr, and he's got four playoff wins, a better team and a better defense in San Francisco. We know that, but I really think if they hit lightning in a bottle and Garoppolo does stay healthy with the running game of Josh Jacobs, if he has another big year, he might only have one more great year. He might have two or three. I hope I take it one year at a time. But if they can really dominate and see a change in this offense with Josh McDaniels, I'm talking a giant step. Because last year with Derek Carr, there wasn't a giant step, and there were a lot of games where they were just flat. That can't happen anymore. Do you expect the playbook to be much more aggressive with Devontae, Josh running the ball, and all those weapons they have in the receiver room? Yeah, I do. I mean, you saw what happened when they went to Jared Stidham at the end of the season. They really opened up the playbook. And that told you that they just didn't believe Derek Carr could really carry out what they wanted to do. So I, I do think, especially with a veteran like Jimmy Garoppolo, they're going to give him everything he can handle. And I think he can handle a lot. My my question with him is, can he stay healthy? Mm-hmm. If, you, if you tell me right now he's going to play the entire season, I like the Raiders' chances to, to, to surprise a lot of people. But you know, I could also see him missing half the year, and then, mm-hmm. you know, and then you're Brian Hoyer, you're starting, you're starting quarterback, and I just, you know, if that's the case, then they're they're in real trouble. So that to me is really mostly what it comes down to. Because I do think Josh Jacobs has at least one more big year left in him. We do know running backs tend to fall off a cliff after a while, but I don't think Jacobs is there yet. 
All right, Mark, final one with F1 and the paving of the strip and what they're doing here. And you're really connected here in the city on what's going to happen with F1 and then re ripping up the street again and what what they're doing with opening the sphere. I mean, Vegas, you've been here a long time, as long as I have, if not longer. They're really trying to thread the needle with with two super global events back to back. And we always talk about Vegas able to do that. On certain nights, you could have a global concert and everything could be packed on the strip. This is kind of a big test for this city. What are you hearing as the paddock's being built for F1 and finalized? The sphere's getting ready to open. They're tearing up the streets for the F1 track. And then the Super Bowl's here. And that's been a little bit quiet as of late, obviously, in May. All this is going to be happening sooner than later. It will be. You know, it's it's funny. There was a story out of Miami that the F1 drivers were complaining about the pre-race show there that took half an hour and mm-hmm. You know, it's like, well, welcome to America, guys. That's the kind of way we do things here with, mm-hmm. with the big sporting events. And just w- if you think that was something, just wait to get to Las Vegas. I mean, it's it's going. They're going to go all out. I mean, it's going to be an unbelievable show. Um, you know, it's the race is obviously the highlight, but you know, this it's being mm-hmm. Las Vegas, they're going to go all out and and really make it a spe- make it a spectacle and and. Um, and it will get some eyeballs throughout the world because, yeah. it's, you know, it's, international sports really isn't used to the way things are done in the U.S. as far as really making it a big event. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, point. and so this is going to this is going to show the world the possibilities of what can happen. And who knows, maybe you'll start to see a trend globally in how things are presented. Nice job, Mark. Talk to you in a couple of weeks. Thank you. All right, sounds good, JT. Thanks for having me on. You got it. Mark Anderson, good guy, real good guy, knows the town as good as anybody. You know, the F1 was in Miami this past weekend, so I tuned in to watch it, and I hit the DVR to record it. And they're racing around Joe Robbie Stadium, now, you know, Hard Rock Stadium. So that's that, to me, is lame. They're having the track in the parking lot of a football stadium. Well, Legion Stadium doesn't have a parking lot at that level, so they can't have the race around a Legion Stadium. They're having it on the Strip going around the Sphere, which is going to be the greatest, the greatest concert venue ever. Period. I'm talking Royal Albert Hall, anything in Europe, we got it here in the Vegas. So it's going to go around that. So as I was watching it, and they were doing the aerial view and the drones, they tried to dress it up. They actually put a swimming pool in the parking lot. All the great-looking celebrities are there. They'll be here in Vegas, too. But they don't have casinos around the track. They don't have the Bellagio fountains. Everybody's going crazy, man. F1's in Miami. It's not in Miami. It's not in Miami. It's 20 miles north of Miami. When we say we're having F1 in Vegas, we're having F1 on the Strip. I mean, that's incredible to me. So it's going to be better. And I know I always fight for Vegas. Was the draft better in Nashville or Vegas? Well, I didn't go to Nashville. I know we broke their number, but not by a lot. Nashville had a big number. Vegas had a decent number. But did you see what Kansas City looked like for the draft? I mean, really? Kansas City with that old fountain they have there, like 200-year-old fountain? Compared to what we have here in Vegas, I'm sure it was nice, but it wasn't Vegas. So F1 is going to be big. They're going to, it's going to be the U.S. headquarters here in Vegas, the paddock which they're building right there at Harmon at the old side of the drink. Remember, if you've ever been to the drink back in the day, shout out to my good buddy Morty, Michael Morton. Uh, when you look at where that location is and the infrastructure and how many jobs it's going to provide, and as right as you come out of the paddock and make a right, and you go and you could walk to the sphere, I mean, come on. This is going to be incredible with those concerts and you two being the residency, Harry Styles or whoever's going to perform there. Pretty amazing. So that'll be in November. 
and then we'll turn around with the Super Bowl in February. So that's going to be two of the biggest events in the history of North American sports. The first ever Las Vegas Super Bowl. How about that? And F1, first time ever in Vegas. And we're going to have to have that nailed by November into February. And what that will be to these cities and the traffic and what's going to happen. Fortunately, this isn't San Francisco, Los Angeles, where there are traffic nightmares. But the traffic's going to get worse. It's going to be crowded. And people are going to be coming in internationally. And they're going to spend ungodly money to attend the Super Bowl and F1. This is not like, hey, man, let's go down to the strip and catch F1. No, no, no. No, no, no. No, this is not that. You're going to have to need money. And some people just watch it or crash a hotel room and try to look out the window and get a glimpse of it. But it's going to be pretty special here. All right, so let's get back to the show for those. I'm open till the bottom of the hour. So what I want you to do is thread the needle here. You get a chance to get in. Raider schedule. What is the number one thing you're looking forward to Thursday? What's the number one thing you don't want to see? One I don't want, you don't want to see. Because we do have some angry Raider fans today. And maybe there's something on the schedule that will piss you off. What will upset me is if the Raiders don't have a glorious home opener when they beat Lamar Jackson and Drew Brees. We only played four years there. Those are some pretty good opens. Remember, we had COVID uh, with no fans, which hurt a lot. So what do you think the home opener should be? That would be interesting. And what, what is the one road game or potential road trip that you're concerned about either for the weather or the travel? 702-365-9200. I dive into the schedule every year, and as I look at this schedule, it, uh, it's prone to piss me off, this one. This one, th- th- there's no gimmies here. And I thought Jacksonville was a gimme last year. I was wrong. They had a massive lead. They blew that. I thought the Rams in the Baker Mayfield game was a gimme. They blew that game. So there were some games last year that I had marked off as wins that they didn't win. This year, I think there's going to be a lot of make-or-break games, even games, even games. The Chargers, the Green Bay Packers, the Vikings, the Giants, the Steelers. I mean, who's better, the Steelers or the Raiders? Steelers aren't better by much. I mean, they don't have the quarterback that the Raiders have. They don't have Devontae Adams. You know, But they're a good team. They're well-coached. The Giants, Daniel Jones. Are you worried about Daniel Jones coming in here? I mean, we beat, you know, we came through a couple of years ago and beat the Eagles with Jalen Hurts. They're better now. Kirk Cousins is coming in with the Vikings. Are you scared that Kirk Cousins is going to go up and down the field? So those are those pick them games where if the Raiders can win those games, then that could really improve the record. And on the road, I mean, Detroit's better, I think, and they're going to continue to get better. The Colts should be a winnable game. Miami. I think Miami will be the favorite, but the Raiders can win. The Bears are terrible and have been terrible. They're improved. Uh, I think they have to beat the Bears. And then it becomes Buffalo. That's a good topic, too. Where would you rather have the Buffalo game? In London or Buffalo? I think if you want the Raiders to win, which we all do, you want it in London because that's a neutral field. If it's in Buffalo, uh, Buffalo tends to be crazy. The the one thing you don't want to see is Buffalo in late November, early December or late December there with the Buffalo game. But all things that we can navigate through here, if the Raiders don't turn the ball over, if they're better in the passing game with Jimmy G, and again, it could be a lateral move, Carr, Jimmy G, roughly the same, but I think that Jimmy G is going to do and make better decisions in the red zone. I hope he does, and that would make him better there. And then the running game of Josh Jacobs. I didn't see it last year. I didn't see Josh Jacobs coming in with 1,600 yards. I thought he'd be good, but I didn't think he'd lead the league in rushing. I didn't think he'd lead the league in rushing. But now I look at Josh Jacobs and I say he's got to lead the league in rushing again. 
It works, right? It works. It worked really well. And the play action worked well. Devontae has a big statistical year every year he's here. And Josh Jacobs, depending on his contract status, has a big year. If you can count on the best receiver in football and the leading rusher, you hear what I just said? You have the leading rusher and the best wide receiver and a capable quarterback. If that doesn't get you more wins with Mayer at tight end and the slot receiver at Jacoby Myers and all the other players that they brought in on offense, the only thing that could derail this team is if the defense stinks. And they spent a lot of time improving the defense in the offseason. So I think the team is improved. You didn't hear me say vastly improved, but they're improved for a team that should have won eight or nine games last year without the five collapses with double-digit leads. They got to get from six to back up to eight, nine, ten again to take the next step. And that's going to come down to the fourth quarter, down three, up three, and closing out the game with Jimmy G and Daniel Carlson and an A.J. Cole punt a Coffin's Corner punt that pins a team down at the three-yard line. That's the only way I see it. All right, when we come back, uh, Benjamin Brown's going to join us here in a little bit. Statistically, we'll talk about the schedule and what's going on there. And then Vince Sapienza is going to join us from Edmonton. We'll talk to him in a little bit about uh, the atmosphere. He's on the ground in Edmonton. I'm dying for this interview. A bunch of zombies up there probably after that loss. Uh, We are brought to you by our great friends at Resorts World. Scott Sabella has a vision for doing sports the right way inside the sports book at Doghouse Saloon and all the other great venues there at the biggest property, the newest property on the Strip, Resorts World. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think, as you know, like when I talk about rookies, all of them are going to have to come in and, and, earn their, and earn their role. There's a lot of transitions that go on in doing that. But his skill set, I mean, he has a skill set to come in and make, a, and make an impact, you know, for us in year one. And, um, yeah, you know, how far that goes, you know, I'm not going to put any expectations on him to say he's going to be this or that. But definitely feel like he can come in and make an impact for us in the passing game. Um, you know, we signed a couple. We signed Austin. We signed OJ um, to one-year deals in the offseason. Obviously, you know, Michael's going to be here for a long time, you know, from a contractual standpoint. But um, high ceiling for him um, if he continues to grow and learn the nuances of the game. You know, you're going to see some different coverages and some different matches matchups than you see in the college game, but has a very good skill set to make an impact for us. Dave Ziegler, the GM on Michael Mayer, the tight end. JT, back with you. Dave looked right across from me, and you could watch the video stream of that at Raiders.com. The new guys come in and they start at the bottom of the depth chart. So there's no favorites here. This is a team that the GM and the coach says, we drafted you, we expect you to play, but you're no better than anybody else. Do your job. Right? I don't know why anybody has a problem with that. Do your job and they're going to come in and do their job and earn the snaps that they're going to get. But I, I would hope that we would assume that our new defensive end and our new tight end would play a lot. Because then why were they drafted? They're drafted to play a lot and help the team win. So the depth chart is going to change here in a little bit. My dream scenario, dream scenario, is that the Raiders trade for a linebacker. They get a linebacker in here who's got a recognizable name. A plug-and-play starter with Spillane. And they have a new linebacker that comes in where they don't have to give up the world. It's more about bringing on a contract. And then, you know, when, when we get to the start of the season and the preseason that a high-profile offensive lineman gets cut 
from another team because of competition. They have two right guards. They let the one go, the veteran go, we get them. I thought that was going to happen last year. It did not because they were going to go with their plan with the offensive line. Maybe they do it again. But I hope they're open to bringing in a veteran who can start and really have an impact here. Raider Dave in Denver, always good to hear your calls. What's happening, Dave? Hey, how are you? I agree with yeah. you. I think the, the veteran lineman is going to be a plus. Because think of whoever you want to starting, and think of one of those players going down and who's going to fill in the rest of the season. They just don't have that kind of depth with that talent. You know, as far as the schedule goes, obviously late in the season at Chicago, at Kansas City, you know, Buffalo's obviously, I guess, going to be in Europe, so that, that'll be all right. But the thing I fear the most is we get hammered almost every year. Not last year, but hammered almost every year. Andy Reid gets an extra freaking week to go ahead and plan to go against the Raiders. Now, I'd rather the late-season Raider game against Kansas City be at Allegiant mm-hmm. and have the Kansas City game be uh, in Kansas City earlier in the schedule. But, man, not at the cost of giving him an extra bye week to go ahead and do that. But who knows how that's going to work out when you have probably a bye week next to that Buffalo game mm-hmm. when you get the trip out east or you know to the other country. Yeah. That's usually how they, they run that. Now, I don't know. You know, sometimes these Thursday games end up being almost a bye week, too. And if they circle something around Black Friday, that would be kind of interesting. And maybe they could get another small break throughout the year. You know, I'm really fearful that Renfro might be the one who's cut to get a really good lineman. But I like your scenario better. Maybe a, a cut veteran somewhere that's got a little bit, you know, mix of a contract problem or young competition. I'd rather do that and keep Renfro. Fabulous phone call. Fabulous phone call. As he talks about the schedule and how do you get the bye week before the international game, when you get off the bye week, very complex. Always a pleasure to welcome in Benjamin Brown, who joins us from Pro Football Focus. And, Ben, when you look at all the data and what you're really good at, you're good at a lot of stuff here with the schedule coming out. What are some of your do's and don'ts that you tell listeners when they're looking at the schedule with the bye week, back-to-back road games, how all this plays out coming up here on Thursday? Yeah, it is really interesting. Obviously, it's an exciting time of the year. We do know the opponents, so I think in a lot of ways, you know, some of the movement you see from a betting market might be just a little bit overstated if we do get a lot of reactions, you know, in relation to how the schedule kind of breaks out. But there's going to be clear winners, clear losers. But overall, I think as football fans, uh, this is a really exciting time because I do think we have a lot of intriguing options, I would say, to kind of fill a lot of these primetime slots. So it'll be really interesting to see how the NFL kind of navigates that. Yeah, from a gambling perspective, one of your strengths here, when you look at the Jets, so if you don't have the Jets on your schedule with Aaron Rodgers, but you have Green Bay with Jordan Love, all of a sudden you get a little bit of a break. You don't have to face Aaron Rodgers, you would think. You get Jordan Love. When you look at these quarterbacks, when you're looking at the analytics side of this with the schedule, that is fascinating to me. Tom Brady's been out of New England for a while. Now he's out in Tampa. So if you get Tampa on your schedule with Baker Mayfield and a team that's looking to regroup, there's not a lot of gimmies there. When I look at these teams, right. I don't see a lot of gimmies because Cincinnati is no longer a gimme, and they have been for years, and Detroit is no longer one of those teams that you can just cross off and say we're going to win that game. Yeah, definitely. I do think the quarterback landscape has greatly shifted. You know, I do think everyone said, you know, the power definitely lied in the AFC. That obviously only became even more apparent with kind of like you said, you know, Aaron Rodgers going to the AFC. And then, you know, for all intents and purposes, probably at least the best legacy quarterback at the NFL. I don't know if he was playing at the top of his game, but when he got there, you know, Tom Brady very much was the best guy. So you're kind of a looking around, I would say, for the NFC. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of teams that are very close to a rebuild. And it does kind of 
depend on, you know, how these initial schedules and games kind of play out, right? Because if you are a team that maybe gets off to a hot start because you do have a pretty easy starting schedule, like that might be a spot where you can rally some things and you can you can potentially, I would say, get into the playoffs in the NFC because it is so down from that perspective because so much of the quarterback and the quality play has definitely shifted. So I think if you're a team, you know, not necessarily a top team like Philadelphia or even San Francisco, but if you're, you know, the, the, the next tier team in the NFC, like the Seattle Seahawks or the Detroit Lions, kind of like you touched on, like you very much have to kind of feel like you want to put your pedal to the metal a little bit here and kind of press on some edges. And I do think that if you get there and get into the playoffs, you know, it really might only take one, one, one or two upsets and you're potentially finding yourself in the Super Bowl. And then at that point, anything can happen. So I, I think you're going to see a more aggressive approach from the NFC team specifically. And I think you kind of already saw that in the way in which those teams approach the draft. Benjamin Brown joins us, pro football focus. So obvious, forget the obvious Kansas City and Philadelphia. They played in the Super Bowl. And we'll take out Aaron Rodgers because I think the league's going to reward the Jets for one move. Getting Aaron Rodgers, they got some pretty good games coming up on the schedule. I think they're going to be rewarded with some prime time. Uh, give me a couple of the other darlings out there. Joe Burrow in Cincinnati. There is a love affair with the Chargers and Justin Herbert. Uh, the Raiders play in Vegas. You would think in Allegiant Stadium, home of the Super Bowl this year, they might go back to getting a primetime game. Is there a team that jumps out to you that you think the league's going to reward by giving them a couple of bigger games than in the past? Yeah, I, I actually think you know. I think you touched on a bunch of intriguing ones. One that I think is going to find a lot of love here is the Jacksonville Jaguars. Mm-hmm. Specifically at home, they do have a number of, I would say, kind of quality matchups that do shape up really well for primetime games. They're going to have Cincinnati at home. They also have the Kansas City Chiefs and San Francisco 49ers. So I think overall, if you if you you know project out their match against Baltimore to potentially be a primetime game as well, they're looking at four games at home that very much line up, I would say, to be a potential primetime game. So I do think they're going to be a team that, you know, we really haven't seen a lot of in the last three to five years, but are very much, I would say, going to be at the forefront of the primetime games here, especially if you think that the the NFL kind of gravitates towards the power in the AFC and very much wants to highlight some of these matchups from up-and-coming players, I would say, uh, in this 2023 season. So I think Jacksonville is going to be one that maybe isn't talked about enough uh, but is very much going to be there for a number of primetime opportunities here in 2023. Wrapping it up with Benjamin Brown, I also find this pretty interesting when I look at the league and the schedule, the international games, the cold weather games. A lot of gamblers don't want to put their money to work on futures. They want to have their money fresh cash to bet week to week. What's your philosophy in regards to picking one of these early games when a book puts up all the games early and you get a chance to bet now, you don't know if anybody's going to get injured in the preseason. A quarterback could be gone, and the next thing you know, your bet doesn't look as good. The odds will change. But are you a big believer in pouncing early when some of these odds are released early and the props and all that do it early instead of late? Yeah, I mean, I very much – I think the sound approach from a betting perspective, you can get so much more down in a, on a week-to-week basis. So as soon as you can kind of bet some of those week-one opportunities – I like to take advantage of it. I'm not necessarily going to rush to the window to bet a bunch of like win total futures and those mm. sorts of things because it doesn't really allow me to turn over the money. But if you can find some stale week one lines, especially in spots that I think teams are kind of more difficult to power rank or maybe project out teams like, you know, with new quarterback situations like Tampa Bay and, and maybe even Green Bay and those sorts of things where you think that maybe the market is overvaluing or undervaluing that quarterback play and how that kind of fits in. I think you pounce on some of those opportunities early on, and then you're kind of stacking some victories, and then you don't necessarily need to sweat it out for the entire season with the win total because you've already kind of built that capital. And 
then you're just kind of pressing some of your edges later on. So I like betting early on the week one line. I think it's probably worth the wait just based on the movement that we typically see uh, coming up here uh, as we do get closer to the actual kickoff. Usually there's playoff teams that then the following year don't make the playoffs. Is there a team that didn't make the playoffs last year that jumps out at you with your analytics that say, hey, the schedule, yeah, I know you want to see the schedule, but you just know the strength of schedule already with the win percentage of the opponents, and you say, man, this is a team that's going to look to jump back into the playoffs. Yeah, I, I think the team that didn't make it last year that very much is setting up really well is the New Orleans Saints. Somebody has to win the NFC South. I think their schedule specifically is going to be it's not probably the easiest schedule in football. So uh, I think the fact that they have Tampa Bay twice, Carolina, we don't know quite what Bryce Young is going to bring to that offense. And they obviously have, you know, a ton of, ton of turnover from last year with Frank Reich now at the helm at, at, at the, at the coaching position. Like I think New Orleans brings a little bit of continuity, does have the ter- Derek Carr option. And, and if they kind of get some of these easy matchups early on, are going to stack enough victories, I think, that they can actually run away with the division. So I, I like the Saints to be a team that gets back to the promised land after taking a break last year. Okay, lastly, PFF with the schedule release. I know across the channel, across the platform, there's going to be a lot of podcasts and information. What do you have planned for Thursday? Yeah, definitely. So we got, you know, the PFF NFL show, the forecast, as well as going to be breaking it down from a gambling perspective. So we're going to have a lot of content as well. I'm going to have a win totals article coming up first thing Friday morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's all systems go. And then we got fantasy projections and everything else. We're going to get a ton of player prop opportunities as the summer kind of opens up. So definitely looking forward to it. NFL continues to kind of dominate the headlines. Uh, it's just something you love to see, I would say. Thanks, my friend. We'll talk to you in a few weeks. Appreciate you. Thanks. Thanks, JT. Have a great show. Benjamin Brown. Very good to have him on. So, again, I never feel this time of year that the Raiders are going to get what they deserve, or maybe they're going to get what they deserve. He'll have his column out on Friday about the win totals there. Is it going to be seven? Is it going to be seven and a half? Will it be eight on the high side? I don't know. I don't know what these data guys do in the analytics, but I know last year everybody had the Raiders under the total because of the way they won their final four games. Under Rich Passaccia, a lot of the Sharps said they can't do that again. They were right. Now you can blame the new regime, whatever, certain players, injuries, the quarterback. But you know Derek Carr's in a pretty good spot now with New Orleans. A lot of teams, Aaron Rodgers went to the AFC. People are leaving the NFC to go make it harder in the AFC. Uh, Derek Carr's in a situation where he might be able to win 10 games, 11 games with New Orleans, and that's the team he wanted to go to. That's the team he selected to go to. When we come back, Vince Sapienza is supposed to join us from Edmonton to get an update on what's happening there. Last call to get in if you want to call in. For calls, Ed Graney's got a great column in the paper. Climbed a giant hill. Knights use dominant team effort to win. Also, I'm on in a couple hours, man. I am I am grinding this week. Four to seven Pacific time on Sirius XM 82 right after this show. Now McNabb using the far wall, off the shelf, Eichel coming out, one of the Oilers goes down, it's a three-on-one, Eichel shooting, he scores! Perfectly placed wrister, low on the long side, and the Oilers give up two goals in the second period, and now trail four to one. Incredible game last night in Edmonton, JT back with you, thrilling victory, one of the best victories I think this young franchise 
has ever had. We go to Vince Sapienza from Fox 5, who's kind enough to join us live from Edmonton. And when I saw you and the Fox 5 team Saturday night in the press box, I couldn't imagine when I left the building they'd play this good in Game 3. What changed? What flipped as you went to practice today? It's simple. It's simple. Stay out of the box. you got to print it on T-shirts, put it on signs, whatever you got to do to get the message through. But Bruce Cassidy got the message through. And, you know, it's so interesting watching Game 2 and the way things ended and unfolded. Vander Kane and Keaton Colasar, everybody throwing fisticuffs and skirmishes at the end of the game. It could have been so easy for the Golden Knights to start Game 3 on the road and try and pick a fight, try and get in that physical game with Edmonton, try and respond, send a message, do all that stuff. They didn't. They played their game. They stuck to the details. They were disciplined. And, you know, we asked them today, you know, what does being disciplined look like? And they said basically checking with your feet, which for those that are not familiar, that just basically means keep your feet moving. Don't get stuck in the mud. Keep the pace. And that's something the Golden Knights did to a T. Edmonton was getting very frustrated. A lot of the Canadian media members were wondering what the refs were doing and why their whistles were in their pocket. But I thought the Golden Knights played an exceptional game, an exceptional game of playoff hockey. And what a response from this group. You and I have talked about time and time again, what is this team good at? And, and the answer is they're not incredibly exceptional at anything except winning and responding. And that's what you get with a veteran group like the VGK. It was a tremendous response. So what are they doing on offense when you look at the neutral zone and when McDavid and Dreisaitl aren't on the ice, is it that big of a mismatch where Vegas gets a lot better when those two legends are off the ice where they could skate faster, it's easier? I just didn't know what pop, what works so good for the offense, waking up Marcheseau and getting more looks at net. Well, there's definitely no question this was Jonathan Marcheseau's best game, and not just because he scored two goals and his first two goals of the postseason, but he was battling for pucks. And it sounds simple, but... Vegas was just winning their races, winning the puck battles in the corner. The biggest thing in game two that we didn't see or that we saw in game three that we didn't see in game two is Vegas never had the puck. They weren't winning the puck battles in the corners. They weren't chasing down pucks. They weren't retrieving them. They weren't winning faceoffs. That all changed here in game three. Their forecheck was incredible. They were winning the puck back, and when they had the puck, that's how, you, that's how you stop Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl. You don't let them have the puck. You don't let them shoot. You don't let them get in the offensive zone. So with the Golden Knights owning the time of possession much, much better than what they did in game two, that was the difference. And again, when you keep this five-on-five, five, it's, it's exponentially in Vegas' favor. The Edmonton Oilers have a historic power play, not just in the regular season, but what they're doing in the playoffs, it's historic. So you keep it five-on-five, all of a sudden that's the great equalizer, and the Golden Knights are very confident in their five-on-five play because they can roll four lines. Edmonton's a very top-heavy team. When you load up uh, Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid on that top line, the other three lines don't have them. So (laughs) the Golden Knights are already at an advantage right there, and if you can limit them the way they did in Game 3, you're going to get more results like you saw last night. Ben Sapienza from Edmonton. So I'd like to spend the majority of time looking and, and you telling me from your eyes what the crowd looked like there because, you know, Edmonton traveled well. I've walked out of T-Mobile with Edmonton fans singing and hanging out on the concourse. They're great fans, drinking beer, you know, rising the price of the 50-50 raffle. They love coming to Vegas. I can't imagine what their fans were thinking knowing that they got home ice back and they gave it back to the Vegas Golden Knights. What was their reaction? I tell you, this city 
is, is the Edmonton Oilers. They, they do nothing but drink, breathe, and live this team. So the, the atmosphere was incredible. I, I dare I say shades of T-Mobile Arena pregame, just in terms of the energy, the electricity, the buzz, a lot of orange jerseys. You know, it's always we always gauge how, how Vegas fans travel by, by the national anthem. And uh, it was probably one of the most faint through the night chants we've heard uh, since we've been on the road. But there was still a, a, a good contingent of gold jerseys and things like that. And when they scored that first goal, I got to tell you, it, I mean, the place was rocking. It was absolutely rocking. But Jonathan Marshall comes right back and silences this crowd. I mean, you could hear a pin drop. And then in that second period, Vegas outscored them 3 nothing. It was, it was eerie how quiet it was. So, and it didn't help that it was raining. So across mm-hmm. the street, they have a playoff plaza where normally thousands gather, and that's where you see all those incredible scenes on TV right. of all these fans standing. There were none because it was raining. They canceled it. And so uh, talk about raining on the parade, literally and figuratively, the Golden Knights uh, took the crowd out of it early. And I expect them to do the same here in Game Four. Wrapping up with Vince Sapienza of Fox Five. So, what are they saying locally about McDavid? We heard rumblings that he wasn't at a hundred percent, but a couple of times when he explodes and takes a coast to coast, he looks fine by me. And Drysaitel just didn't have a lot of opportunities there. This is a really important game for the early legacy of Connor McDavid, the best player in hockey. You know, he's got to put the team on his back and get him a win at home. Yeah, it's so fascinating. You know, Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl held pointless for the first time this postseason, and everyone's saying, "What's wrong with them? <laughs> they are human, after all." But I got to tell you, Draisaitl still had his chances. The Golden Knights gave up a lot of odd man opportunities early in the first period, and again early in the second period, Draisaitl hit the post twice. Uh, so Connor McDavid had, had a few good chances, but again, the goaltending held up. Aiden Hill in relief for Laurent Brossois, who went down, was incredible. Uh, he looks to be like he's the new number one netminder moving forward as Laurent Brassois still looking for an MRI, did not practice today. None of the team did. It was an optional skate, uh, but it looks like it's Aiden Hill's net moving forward. Mm-hmm. And he's, a, he's a confident guy right now, and, and you can see it by the way he was playing, by the way he was flashing the leather, by the way he was giving a few cross-checks to the Edmonton Oilers who were parking in the crease. So uh, I think a lot of good things for the Golden Knights. It is just one game, and we saw – what happened after Game 1 for the Golden Knights in Game 2. So they got to see if they can carry that over. All right, so we talked from Winnipeg. What does a newsman do who provides content when he has an off day in Edmonton? I've never been to Edmonton. Been to Canada a bunch in some hockey cities. <laughs> never been there. What's it like? Well, JT, as you know, that there's no off day here for, for the Fox <laughs> 5 crew. We are, we are turning and burning content like yeah. no other. Uh, so right now we have not left Rogers Place since 6 a.m., uh, we're hoping to, to to get a couple hours here later tonight. But, again, their playoff plaza is, is pretty nice. Uh, Rogers Place connects to the JW Marriott where the Golden Knights stay, and then they have this nice little center, which is not too dissimilar from Gila River Arena uh, in Arizona. So it, it's nice, but, again, everyone lives, breathes, and, and dies uh, Edmonton Oilers hockey here. So outside of the hockey game, it's very quiet on the streets. <laughs> is there a cuisine? Is it a fish town or beer battered fish, fish and chips, or is it barbecue? Poutine, what do you got up there? Poutine and po- more poutine. I have been Ooh. drowning in brown gravy <laughs> and cheese curds up here, and I'm cheese curds. <laughs> like you're in Green so, Bay, kind of Wisconsin exactly, cheese curds, really? Exactly, exactly. Cheese curds and a whole heaping of uh, brown gravy. So. 
I uh, may have to go get my suits looked at after mm. this trip, but uh, we'll, we'll try and keep it <laughs> try and keep it to a minimum. Well, best to your wife as she's holding down the fort with the kids <laughs> as you were up there. Oh uh, my God! Yeah, that, that's the true. That is the true winner. No matter what happens in game three or four. My wife, Bree, is the one yes. who is winning <laughs> life right now. Take care, my friend. I'll see you soon. Thanks, JT. All right. There he is, Vince Sapiens. I'm so happy. Vince started with me down in L.A. at Fox Sports Radio, and look at him now. He's one of the best guys in town. He's got access to every team. He works his butt off, got a young family, and he's on the road. He's on the road with the Golden Knights. That's what we're trying to do here. We did accomplish that today. I pretended, I didn't blindfold myself, I'm not driving, but I pretended that we were a hockey city today. And that's not a cheap shot, but we're not a hockey city on the radio, and we're not, and I can't sugarcoat anything. So I'm trying to kind of pretend, like, how would I do the show in Detroit? How would I do it in Edmonton? How would I do it in Toronto? And I would do it the way I just did it now, have a couple of highlight sections, have a guest, and to talk about this and what could happen here. Vegas wins this game and goes up 3-1, to one, and I'm not expecting it to. I expect Edmonton to bounce back, but if Vegas plays that way, I, I just have conspiracies with the refs. I think the refs are going to put them on the power play, and it's going to have that feel to it, but if they're able to win the next game and have some time, look at the Kraken and what's happening with Dallas. Dallas and the Kraken. Someone's going to come out of that series, and Vegas is going to have home ice if they're able to hold on to this, but following this team since they've come into the league, and Vegas is a really good team, It's never easy, right, everybody? It's never easy. The debacle in San Jose in the playoffs a few years ago, missing the playoffs for the first and only time last year. Uh, I'm not getting too far ahead of myself. I'm not going too crazy getting ahead of myself for everything that could happen here. I'll wait, and we'll play it along the way, and we'll see what's going to happen here. Aaron Judge taking off. The injured list. He'll come back for the Yankees. Uh, let's take. We didn't get to any of our NBA, and I apologize on that, Bobby, because you pulled the sound, and I uh, I suck on that because we should have spent more time on Steph and LeBron. But LeBron and AD are ahead, three games to one. Awful quiet in the Bay Area. Remember, they're not coming back to Oracle. They're coming back to Chase Center in San Francisco. Not the same as Oracle back in the day. Love to see, and I expect the Warriors to win big, big in Game 5, and then bring it back to L.A. where Game 6 will actually be Game 7. Because if the Warriors win Game 6, there's no way the Lakers are winning Game 7. So the Lakers got to find a way to get another win, or the Warriors are going to storm back. If you're down 3-1, it's good to be the Warriors, because they got some experience here. Thanks to Bobby. Great job today. Appreciate all of our guests. Two-hour show today. Catch me on SiriusXM 82. I think you got SiriusXM. Most people do. It's in all the new cars. Real easy, real cheap to download and get it. I'll be on from 4 to 7 p.m. Q's coming up next, and he has a really big show lined up for you as always. Have a great rest of the day, everybody. Thank you.